We are in a series going through the book of Nehemiah. It's an ancient book, 440 years before Jesus Christ. Nehemiah was in the Persian palace as a cupbearer to King Artaxerxes. And you say, why in the world does that matter to me? Because God spoke to Nehemiah about something that he wanted to do. God spoke about a dream that he wanted to see fulfilled amongst his people. And that dream came into being through the obedience of Nehemiah. And we've been asking you, who are you? What is your heart broken for? What is your dream that you think God could be calling you to do, afresh and anew? Maybe it's a continuation of something that's been going on with your life. Maybe it's something that you've never even thought about until the last few weeks. Even this week in my life group, there was someone who mentioned something, and I went, that's cool, God's speaking today. And it may not be rebuilding a wall around a city. It may be building or rebuilding something that is desperately needed in your world and in our community. So, we're in the journey, and today is entitled, When Things Get Real. Because you can do a lot of talk, 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 talk. You can do a lot of pray, pray, pray kind of thing. But there comes the moment when you have to begin action. And this is exactly what happened with Nehemiah. After praying for six months, having gone before the king, having gotten favor from the king, not only favor to leave the Persian area and go back to Jerusalem, but... He also got resources, he got personnel, he got an army. He is good to go. So can you imagine Nehemiah on the 800-mile trek, a little bit of a trek for that time, and you're coming up on a precipice and you see Jerusalem. Now, I've never been to Jerusalem. Jerusalem's up on a hill. That's why it was hard to conquer. And he sees Jerusalem off in the distance, the silhouette. What's going through his mind? What's going through his heart? These walls have been broken down for years upon years. There's a small remnant of Jewish people that have come back into Israel. But there's no thriving city. There's no protected city. It's not buzzing and purring, and it's not glorifying God. And he sees it. His heart's broken. He's been called to do this. He's left all the comforts in Persia. And now the task stands before him. What would you do? Well, today probably people would barge in and they would go, Da-da! You're... Savior is here. I am going to rebuild the walls. Everybody gather around. I'm going to do some social media. I'm going to do some other kinds of announcements, some rallies, and we're going to get this thing going. Do you think that's what he did? That is not what he did. He, let's see what he did by looking at the scripture in Nehemiah 2. Nehemiah 2 says this, And the king granted these requests because the gracious hand of God was on me. So I arrived in Jerusalem three days later. I slipped out during the night, taking only a few others with me. I had not told anyone about the plans God had put in my heart for Jerusalem. So he didn't go public. He sort of went private. He went underground. Now, you remember, he's taken an entourage of people with him. Um, and there was a small group of people, builders, engineers, people that knew what they were doing. But when he arrived in town, what he ended up doing was, was not going public, but working with those people. It says this then. We took no pack animals with us except the donkey I was riding. After dark, I went through the valley gate, past the jackal's well, and over the dung gate to inspect the broken walls and the burned gates. One of the things I just love about the scriptures is the scriptures is not legend. 
the scriptures is history, historical. And when I see some of these kinds of particulars, like the gates mentioned, I think to myself, oh, wow, how cool. There was a real gate like that. If you go to Jerusalem today, some of the gates are named similar to a couple things that you might see up here. Then I went to the fountain gate and to the king's pool. But my donkey couldn't get through the rubble. So though it was still dark, I went up the Kidron Valley instead inspecting the wall before I turned back and entered again at the valley gate. The city officials did not know that I had been out there or what I was doing, for I had not yet said anything to anyone about my plans. I had not yet spoken to the Jewish leaders, the priests, the nobles, the officials, or anyone else in the administration. So he comes into the city. Now, he doesn't necessarily come quiet because he's got quite an entourage with him. But he doesn't go public. Instead, at night, he sort of slips out behind the scenes and he begins to do an evaluation of what the project's going to hold. Before, it had just been a theory. Remember, he had never been to Jerusalem before. His brother had come to tell him about what was happening there, right? And so he's starting to get a feel, lay for the project, and he's doing it with a few. For our dreams to become reality, this is the first thing I want to position to you this morning. Plan in private with a few. Plan in private with a few. Can you sort of see him out there, donkeys and all, whatever, moving around at night underneath cover? You know, thank blink, but there's no infrared or anything like that to be able to, to, to see at, at night other people. And, and so you're, you're scoping it out and checking it out. Got some lanterns, got some lights. But he's doing it with a small group of people. He's not out there trying to take on this mission solo. He knows he needs a platoon, if I can say that. And this platoon of people are confidants, conrads, people that understand. Because, you see, there weren't a lot of skills that um, Nehemiah probably brought. He was a taster of food. And he's going to rebuild this wall that's been in rubble. And so he was wise enough, he was smart enough to say, I need to get some people around me who can help me move this project forward. Now, I'd like to meet those people someday. Maybe I will get to meet those people someday, right, on the other side. And these people gave to him expertise and advice. They probably did a SWAT. You know what a SWAT is? We've done those before here at the church. You know, what are the strengths? What are the weaknesses? What are the opportunities? And and what are the threats? And probably sat down and said, let's do a SWAT on this, try to figure out what's going on. Now, this is important. Because a lot of times when you have a dream and you need to speak your dream of what you'd like to see come into being, understand that, but people go public way too soon sometimes. And then as people's like, oh, okay, so, so how's that going to happen? And you get all these questions because when you're starting a project, there's certain things you know and there's other things that you just don't know. You have a vision. You have an idea. You're going to step into it, but you don't have all the answers. And you need counsel around you with a few People that can jump on board, that can know you, can understand you, bring skills and expertise to the table that you do not have. And what they probably they decided in this situation was the wall needed to be get, get built quickly. And if it was going to get built quickly, then the scope of this wall, I mean, it was, it was huge. We're not talking about a little brick wall like it's in your backyard here in Southern California, right? We're talking about big walls, huge stones the size of Volkswagens, we said, right? And these were protection walls against the enemy, but they had been rubble and shambles for 150 years. They needed to get them built quick because they knew the enemies would attack 
quicker now with the knowledge of maybe what was going on. So they shrunk the circumference of the wall down. They made the decision to shrink the circumference of the wall down so it could be built more quickly and in, and in doable places. And then in the future, they could expand and add on. And in fact, if you want to do a study, it's interesting to study the walls of Jerusalem through all the different generations going back thousands of years. And if you're to go there today, what the wall is today and what era that came from, right? The wall was not going to be built by Nehemiah showing up to be a superstar. In private, he gathered a few, and they began to think through what needed to happen. What needed to happen. Now, I don't know about you in your situation or maybe what God is calling you to do, but you need to understand that there are dreams that God intentionally gives you and I that he specifically knows you and I cannot do by ourselves, but he has calling other people to be engaged with you. You know, it was interesting. I, I didn't know Joe was going to sing that I Love You Lord song. I mean, how old is that, right? That's like really old, friends, if you don't know that song. And it just kicked me back to my youth group days. I was in college. I was trying to help lead a struggling youth group that was broken down through two youth pastors who had exited through moral problems. And I'm trying to keep this group of kids together in a larger church. And maybe we had maybe a 20 or 30 at the most. And they were all cliquish. And I remember God breaking upon our youth group for a vision and a dream to reach the high schools in our city. God brought us a Nehemiah and a guy by the name of Dwight. And I remember, Dwight, we came together and I shared my heart with Dwight. And, and he says, well, let's think through this thing. And um, we gathered some high school kids around us. And uh, those high school kids' names, I could tell you, Dan, Kay, Nick, John, David, Laura. And I remember we went away and we sat down and said, God, this... This youth ministry is broken down. What are we going to do? And he gave us a vision and a heart. But he pulled together this group of people. And we would sing that song. I remember singing that song, what we called Power Time. Thursday night Power Time. And through Miracle Camp that summer when we did get over a hundred and some kids to go, God blew the doors off that youth ministry and it rocked the high schools. We ran hundred plus kids impacted the, high, uh, the, the adults because we wanted to love the Lord. But I remember when Dwight came, he wasn't going to do it by himself. We had a few get together. I remember when Melissa and I, we started our, our, our church on the northwest side of Indianapolis. It's now uh, known as Eagle Church. And, and Eagle Church, we were uh, thrilled with this vision to start a ministry to reach people that didn't go to church. I didn't want to reach church people. Well, I did because a lot of them need to move forward with their king. But I didn't realize what was going on. And God brought together this small nucleus of people. <coughs> Excuse me. I thought I had a seminary friend that would maybe join me to do it, and that didn't work out. But God had Dan and Carolyn and David and Delana and Tim. In the first meeting, he brought together some others in a small group of confidence, and Eric, and a Mike, and a Nancy. There was another Mike. And I remember we would meet together 
<laughs> we talk about how do we start that we don't have any money, we don't have any building, we don't have any, any, I, any semblance of a church anywhere. And God brought together a ministry that's now thriving on the northwest side of Indianapolis. We stayed there for, for uh, 20, 20 years this season right now. I know if you, we've not even talked about this, but it was 25 years ago in this season right now that we were meeting on Sunday nights, every Sunday night, thinking about launch, launch on April 5th. Two weeks before Easter that year, or a week before Easter, I think it was. No, it was two weeks before Easter that year. And God brought into being something that didn't exist, but it started with a few planning and praying and envisioning and bringing skill sets together as a group. That's how God works it. Now think about it in your own life. Is there something God's called you to do, maybe a plan of it, and you're out there trying to do solo operator? Maybe you're trying to build a great family, and you're just trying to do it yourself. Maybe you and your spouse, and it's just not going too well. Maybe you have a business that you've pressed out on, and, you know, it, it's sort of, you don't really want to tell too many people, right? And that's legitimate. I just said that. But you're sort of, you're, you're just not in the team mode with a few. God will find people and bring them to you. I was dumbfounded when we started the church in Indianapolis where God already had people, boots on the ground, that were there. And they just sort of came up out of the woodwork. I'm like, hey, cool, this is all right. This is great. I mean, we were, all, we were all working jobs. None of us were getting paid. I mean, this was out of our, all of our credit cards pretty much to get things happening. But think about what God's calling you to do. In your family, in your business, maybe it's, it's some type of ministry effort. He wants you to press down, and it does not exist today. But in your mind, you're thinking, wow, wouldn't that be neat? Would not that be neat if that existed? Because there's people that need that. Now, why don't we bring people around us? Well, there's different reasons. I reflect into my own soul because I'm here with us as a group and what's God called us to do as a church at this season, right? And I think about, okay, why, why is it that we fail to do this thing of bringing together a core group of people who can really be committed and sold out and willing to follow the vision that, that God has for us? Well, sometimes we think that, and, and this is pastors. I'm speaking a little bit from a pastor's heart here, all right? We pastors think that it looks weak if we lean on others. Friends, trust me, I could take you to everything that I've been a part of where something's come into existence, it's not come into existence, and I could point blank tell you it's not me. It's not me. I have a limited set of skills. I'm comfortable doing what I'm doing here. I enjoy studying. I enjoy interacting with people. I do like to plan and envision things. That's true. But there's a whole host of other skills. That I do not have. And so and there's part of you that, well, I'd it'd be too weak if I couldn't really try to do this on my own. It's the rugged individualism. It's America, right? Sometimes we think that um, there's uh, not the interest of others. We think that maybe God's not working on other people's hearts the same that he's working on us. Sometimes, and, and this is a pretty hard one. Then I'll have to admit. Sometimes we think that God doesn't love us enough that he wouldn't want to give us the resources and the people and the opportunity to make something happen for him. We just don't think that. So who is it in your life that you could almost need to write down, I should make you have an assignment today, write it down, that you could begin to plan in private with? Who are the few? Who are the few people? And are you willing to step out and gather those and start investigating the broken down walls and what's going on? I believe 
for us as a people here, God has a fresh and a new day for us as a church. I don't know, there's something, maybe it's because I moved into a house finally or something like that. My, you purchase a house, maybe it's been three years, it's change up here and there. But this church started in 2004, and there was a, false, a few that came together to see this church start. Some of you are still here. And it's, it's swung in different ways and moved different places. Been here for five years kind of deal, but we all know we sort of re-signed on this building for one more year. Okay, what's God going to do with us? Where do we go? What do we do? Do we stay? Do we go? You know, I gave myself like two or three months off from this whole building decision for us. I did. I was like, okay, we re-signed. We're here for another year. The holidays come. I'm moving the house. But you know what? God's stirring my heart. He says, all right, that's right there before us. The Awakening Church, starting out as Chorus Church, is a body of people I've brought into existence to reach a growing valley. And he gathered a few then. And he's gathered a few here or there at different times. But we're in a fresh new season of 2017 with the world that stands before us, the opportunity that stands before us, the valley's needs, the families that are broken, other things. And God's saying, Carrie, let's do it again. Let's do it again. Some of you here two weeks ago when I share with you when I exited from the church that Melissa and I started and we're at for 20 years and we were in the big room. You know, I don't forget how many hundreds of people were there that day. And my son leaned over to me and said, Dad, let's do it again. And I'm like, no. <laughs> Man, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm 55. I'm not 85. So let's get at it. Let's go with it. Let's rock. Let's roll. Right? My wife was reminding me this week that when I accepted the call to come here three years ago, I did this video back in the Midwest with the farm in the background, and I said, what? Let's rock the valley. So three years later, maybe, this is what rocking the valley looks like. I I don't know. All I know is God's called us here. He's called you here. He has a plan. We need to come together, be united, and there's a few that you gather around you, and we start freshly envisioning and thinking through things of what God wants us to do. So for our dreams to become realities, we need to plan in private with a few. I can't overemphasize that. Write a few names down. A lot of times those people are right before you. They really are. You're thinking, oh, someone needs to come in from out in the highways and the byways. No, they're probably right before you. And it's been a prayer in my heart. God, who right before me that I know would be a part of a core group to freshly come together and rethink through? Where to now from here, right? The second thing is you need to courageously cast vision. Let me define vision this way. A compelling picture of a preferred future that captures hearts and imaginations. Now, this is what Nehemiah did. After he had the few, he began to then articulate and cast vision to the people around him. Now, you've got to understand this. What we have in scriptures in this memoir from Nehemiah is rather limited. So you've got to not embellish the scriptures, you got to extend it as to how he would have gone by this, how, as what's articulated with some of the, the scripture passages that are given to us. Let me list to you four elements of a vision. The first is the problem, and the problem engages the mind. Nehemiah 2.17, but now I said to them, you know very well what trouble we are in. Jerusalem is in ruins, and its gates have been destroyed by fire. So he's identifying the problem, and the problem, he says, is the walls. But is it really the walls themselves, brick and mortar? No. It's what the walls bring to our vision. It's what's behind that. And the walls 
were needed to bring security, defensive force, a sense of identity and community. All right? And so he's identifying the problem. And when you start to do that, it begins to engage your mind. So what is your personal vision and your dream that you're going to set out there to a people that are a few? And you're going to start articulating that. You're going to engage their mind. Well, that's a good idea. That's a good thought. I can see how that could happen. Oh, that's a big dream. Whatever their response is, it's going to engage their mind. The second thing is the solution, and it engages the imagination. He says, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, and it's tied to the third, which is why it must happen. It engages the heart. Let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and end this disgrace. Can you see Nehemiah beginning to articulate this, cast the vision and saying, this is not right. Now catch this. These people, some of them have been there for a long time. If they weren't sent into exile, they'd stayed back. Others had returned during Zerubbabel and um, an earlier type of reentry. They had gotten used to rubble. I was watching a video clip on all the tragedy that's happened in Aleppo, Syria. You got the images in your mind, right? Aleppo, Syria, uh, torn down buildings, rubble, people walking over it, and the, and the lack of safety in that environment, and the lack of what? Hope, the disgrace, the embarrassment. This, this, uh, this city in Syria that was a, their, one of their main hubs for commerce and, and development is now in shambles. Because of the Civil War. These people have been living in those rubbles for years. Going in. I remember being in Bosnia once. I, I walk around Bosnia after the Bosnian War, and this is a, number of, a few years back now, but it, you would see all the bullet holes and walls and other things coming down. You go, what were these people thinking? Why can't they get along? Right? These people lived, some of them, 150 years in rubble. Disgrace, embarrassment, but they also were deadened. Not only were the walls in shambles, their life and their identity was in shambles. It was just rubble. You've been there? Are you there now? And some of you don't have a dream and a vision for your life to be resurrected and restored and rebuilt. But God says to you, I can rebuild your life. I can rebuild the walls that the enemy's torn down. I can strengthen you. And he begins to cast a vision about the solution of this. Can you see sort of Nehemiah out there and he's gathering around and says, hey, listen, he says, I tell you what, we're going to rebuild the walls and we're going to end this disgrace. Can you imagine? Can you imagine our kids being able to play in the streets with fun and, and excitement and, 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 and being you know, proud of their city? Can you, people going to work, you've got to remember these people that were a part of Jerusalem, which just wasn't in the city, it was farmers and ranchers, if you will, that were outside the city. The city was the hub of their commerce in that area. And you can say, you know, you can be safe when you're farming, and you can be safe when you're ranching, and you can be safe in your trades that you have. Can you imagine how incredible that would be? And we'd be out talking in, in, the, in the alleyways together in the streets and, and, and giving high fives and encouraging one another because of what God has done. He's not only restore, going to restore the walls, he's going to restore the temple and he's going to restore worship. Remember how we were told early on when God brought us into existence that I am going to bless you to what? 
be a blessing. He says, I'm going to bless other nations through you guys as you worship me and as you work together within the confines of a new Jerusalem that's being rebuilt and refinished. People are going to come to know God. There's people out there that don't know that God cares, that doesn't know that God loves them, that doesn't think that God can restore or build anything. And you are going to be used by that because God's going to restore his beauty and his glory to us. Think about how incredible that's going to be. Amen? That's exactly what Nehemiah did. He cast the vision. He said, this is the solution. It's going to engage the imagination. Why is it going to happen? It's going to engage the heart. And the people start coming together. And then it's the fourth thing that comes around, and it's this. It says, why now? Why do we need to do it now? It's going to engage the will. Then he told them about how the gracious hand of God had been on him and about my conversation with the king. And they replied at once, yes, let's rebuild the wall. Let's get it done. Isn't that cool? I'm like, yeah, put me there with Nehemiah. Let's get it done. But he had to cast the vision for it. What's the vision that you have in your personal life that you need to be casting vision for? Maybe it's a broken down family life and you need to begin casting vision with your spouse. Our family does not need to be this way. It can change. We can change, honey. We can begin working together. We begin loving one another. We can begin envisioning how this household could operate afresh and anew. Maybe it's some friends and, and there's brokenness. But you could come together. One of my sons this week was telling me about some of his friends. They're already thinking, you know, what would it be cool like if we maybe someday started a church together? And I thought, that's pretty cool. That's what God does. He brings people together, kindred hearts, and they can cast and vision one for another. Let's read build the wall. Now's the time. Why is now the time? Because King Artaxerxes has given us favor. We are not opposing the king who's ultimately over this land, the earthly king. And so why he's given us favor, why he's given us the resources, why he's given us the beauty of our imagination to become again a people blessed to be a blessing. Let's get at this and let's get it done now. And so the why, uh, the why, the why now begins to engage the will to have people step into the action of the vision. Now, I said when I came here for the church, let's rock the valley. We renamed the church the Awakening Church for a specific purpose, and that was to become fully alive in Christ and to his mission. Why? I'll tell you why. There's a lot of dead people here in this valley. I'm not talking physically dead. I'm talking emotionally and relationally dead. I'm not talking necessarily about their careers. I'm talking about their hopes, their dreams, their inspirations, their aspirations of the heart. Why are they dead? Because the enemy's at work and sin is at work and Satan wants to destroy people and families and he does a really good job of it here. Yes, he's doing a really good job of it in other places in the nation around the world. But if you look at our valley, people need to become fully alive to who God's made them to be and be on mission for his purpose and his causes. It may coincide with your career it may not for the apostle paul he was a tent maker and he was a tent maker but he was the best missionary this world's ever seen right what is it 
that God's calling us afresh and anew to do as a church in this season. So we've got two tracks we're going with here, right? We're going with the church track here this morning, the vision for us as a ministry, and we're going with the personal track. What's God calling you to do? And part of what God's calling you to do personally, I believe, is to be vitally involved. And if it's not in this congregation, get involved somewhere and let's forward the kingdom of God and his glory on this earth because we only have a few short hours, a few short years. Ozzy, I was talking to Ozzy here this morning before service. Guy plays the wicked guitar up past, really good guitar. We saw a friend pass away this week. Ozzy works with a lot of dead people. Dead from drugs. And he saw one slip away, physically dying. As he tried to resuscitate him, he said, Friends, that affects you. And his and, and his friend wasn't very old, I imagine. Years are short. Thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus said, what? I've come that you may have life and have it to the full. That's all the orders I need. Let's get at it. So both as a community of people, both in your personal life, God's calling you to vision. Let me articulate a little bit more about the awakening. Maybe some of you are new to this church. But God has called us into three areas to see people vibrant to fully alive, that there's passionate spirituality, radical community, and there's a missionary zeal, a Christ-centered, deeper life, a grace-giving communal life, and a kingdom-advancing missional life. These three blending together to be fully alive. I want to be passionate with my spirituality. You know, you got the sunset there in the palm tree. I put up these little drawings just for the fun of it kind of idea, and I'm thinking how passionate we are for some rest and relaxation. How about being passionate to know in Jesus, the river stream, radical community, freshness. It's been nice to have some rain. We actually have some rivers here now in the valley every now and then, right? It's just good to see green, good to see green. Think about a vibrant, radical community where you are loved and you're being loved, where you're serving and being served, where you're rejoicing with one another, where you're mourning, through the, you're, you're living and doing life together. And not just for your own encouragement, but for the sake of God's mission. Because missionary zeal, taking the mountain, what's the next hill? Let's climb towards it. Let's see what God wants to do in advancing his kingdom. These three blending together in beautiful ways. And then I mentioned last week, a couple of weeks ago at our congregational meeting, for those who were able to gather here, there's three primary buckets in which we operate to see this function. The first bucket is the front door. And the front door is what we're doing here. A time to come together to worship, to see one another, to, to embrace, to be able to talk about, hey, hey, let's connect afterwards, do some other kinds of things. There's a front door program, if you will, God's called us to, called the worship gathering. And I promise you, we try week in and week out to make sure that our gathering here is catalytic, that it's about changing your heart and glorifying God. Remember another thing when I said when I came here? My elders remember this. When I first Skyped into them to do a conference call, I said, I am not interested in playing church. I cannot deal with going through the motions one week to another week to another week because this is what we do. No. I want to gather for the greater purpose of worshiping God and his purposes. The second is, and it was highlighted uh, a little bit earlier, the side doors. I say, let's come in through the homes. Let's come in through the homes for missional community life groups. And the life groups are doing life together. 
week in and week out. Yeah, maybe you can't make it every week, but just get connected in a life group. Let's see what God can do if we start to get beyond our solo operation mode and gather with a few to see what God wants to do. But then I mentioned to the body a couple weeks ago at a congregational meeting, there's a third thing that I'm really wrestling with because I'm always conscious that God does things different ways in different places, and I've been wrestling with this for three years. But I like this backdoor idea, and I really want to bring it into focus more. The backdoor is creative community programs and events. And what I mean by that is that there's creative things that we can do to serve our community. Now, don't get me wrong with this. The missional community life group, you are called. In fact, maybe this week your life group needs to say, well, what would God dream for us to do to reach the people that are lost and deadened spiritually and emotionally in this valley? What would God call us to do? You as a life group are a missions sending agency, and it's you together. Maybe grab a neighbor or two. You do not need to come back through this church and say, oh, i got this problem, i got this idea. No. Sit down with your life group and say, what would God have us to do? you got boots on the ground, ears on the ground. What's happening? Do something that the Spirit is convicting your group to do. So missional community is not that you're just gathering groups for the sake of saying, oh, we're going to you know, keep people here at the church. They have relationships. No, we are coming together to do mission. So catch that for the side door. What the back door is is creative things that you wouldn't necessarily think about. And we threw out a, a couple, three of, of these um, I think that night, you know, one of these is like, you know, let's, let's just uh, let's offer a seminar or something on uh, uh, people learn how to do babysitting, right? Now, that might go well in the community. Or let's think about could we offer a um, English as a second language kind of opportunity? Maybe there are some uh, recreational things that we could do. We got Kids Company, which is a kids' musical production, and we bring in people. People are part of the Kids Company, right? They don't have. I don't even know if some of them go to churches, right? It's like, I want my kid in an arts thing, all right? So there are all kinds of creative backdoor kinds of opportunities of programs and events that we can creatively do. Why? Nobody's keeping us from doing that. Nobody. So those are the three doors based on the three values, and God's calling us to move forward with them. As the Awakening Church, it's a vision. And to continue to articulate the vision. Now, do you believe that can come into existence, something that doesn't necessarily fully happen? Oh, we got this gathering, we got some life groups, that kind of thing, but what about the centers? I'm always hesitant to talk about my past sometimes because I never want to, one, assume that God's going to do something again the second time, and secondly, you don't care about my past. You live in the here and now world. You're in here in this church, all right? But I want to share with you because I think a lot of times there's this preferred vision of the future that can come together, but we don't believe it can happen, right? A vision is a preferred picture of the future. I remember sitting with my core group of people, and this time it wasn't who I mentioned prior. This time it was people like Rick, and um, there was a Mike, and there was a Carrie, and there was a Clint, and we sat and we began envisioning what would it be like if we took a church like this, we were in a storefront like this for several years, from 1992 until 1997. We began thinking about, okay, property issues are paying way too much rent. It would be nice to build some equity. Plus, we'd like to be able to do some creative outreach things. And so we began to vision through this and think about how we could take this on. That group came together. God gave us, at that time, 94 acres that sort of landed there, and we were able to charge the windmills and step into it, and God began to work through our lives. But 
we built what was called the Eagle Community Center. In fact, I didn't want to put the name Eagle Church on the building because I wanted it to be known as a center for the community. It's not that we desire to be the best church in the community. Hey, look at us. We desire to be the best church for the community and to get at it, to provide opportunity. And so we built this huge facility. It was way beyond. It was like building Noah's Ark to me in one sense. But God brought together the skills, the personnel, the few. We cast vision for it, and the people came around it, and we built what was called Eagle Church in the community center. An 82,000-square-foot facility that sits on the northwest side of Indianapolis. It's vibrantly engaged in ministry today. Sitting on today, probably in 74, maybe it's down to 60 acres now because they sold some off to pay for the last part of the building. But that was an initiative that we took on. And you would have community events like that going on oftentimes. We had tons of kids involved in sports programs. We had other kids involved in, in other kinds of preschool things and, and uh, musical things. We had families gathering there. I wanted to say, hey, we're going to do some brick and mortar. We're going to build a wall. We need to make sure there's people in the parking lot seven days a week. I'm sharing with you is if we're to transition from this facility to another facility, even as we look at how we use this facility during the week, it needs to be used seven days a week. And there's some creative vision stuff that God's not going to speak to me, but he's going to be speaking to you about. Because I'm not doing this solo. I've learned that lesson time and again. What's God doing on us to be able? And sometimes you do need a facility to be able to make things happen. Now, in Southern California, I sort of like it because it's usually warm. I was like, oh, yeah, you can use the whole outside as your foyer. Hey, you're welcome, Mary. That's pretty cool. We saw something come into existence that didn't exist. And I'm not saying that an 82,000-square-foot facility is necessary even in our future or any of those kinds of things. I'm just telling you that when God calls something into existence, we have to grab a hold of the vision and communicate that vision one with another because the picture's not there, and we've got to paint the picture. We've got to paint the picture. We not only had that, but we started a second campus on the west side of Indianapolis called Eagle Church at Avon. It sits on 10 acres, and that's the facility that God gave us there and that we're working with, that we worked with. God knows what he's doing, but what is he doing for Temecula Valley? See, it's nice to go through this little Nehemiah thing, isn't it? Oh, it's a great story. It applies to me personally. But I'm here today to tell you, and I encourage you to show up today. I want to knock on your door because my two, three months of chilling out a little bit is over. I specifically put the Nehemiah series where it's at because I needed something to call me forward, and I want to call us forward together here. Friends, we are not settling for, oh, we got another year extension and we can play church on Sunday mornings and have a few small groups. God's called us to do something, to rock this valley, to reach the hearts and the lives of people that are broken today, people that are downtrodden, people whose families are broken, people whose careers are, our trajectories are broken down, and they has no hope. They have no belief that God loves them, that God's presence can be in their life. They're there today. Maybe you're here today and you walked in by accident. I want you to know that Jesus Christ died for you. He rose from the grave to give you power victoriously over whatever is tying you down. And he is calling you not only to maybe some grand hope and a future as an individual or as a family, 
family, but together as a community of people to see something happen, to be able to change lives, to make lives that were dead come to life so we don't have to look into the eyes of someone who passes away and wonder where are they going on the other side, but that we can know that we can lock arms and join together and bear the soul and burden of one another and build something great, not for us, but for God's glory together. That's our valley. That's the view of the valley on the top of the hill that's behind my house now. French Valley, the broader Temecula Valley, I don't know where God may have us to strategically locate. I do know there's a lot of homes still being built up north. And when Cleeton Keith goes in and connects the 215 over to us, lost here on the Winchester Road, we're going to open up to new days, right? This church actually has with the district, the denomination, 10 acres of property up on Scott Road. I don't know. Someone asked me about that property right before service. I don't know what God has for that property. It's being paid for by our denomination. I don't know that that's where we're necessarily supposed to go. I don't know we're supposed to build right now. I don't want to have a building that anchors us down and gets us back into a bunch of debt. But I tell you what, I would love to see a community center that would thrive. I keep looking around this place. Maybe it's in the Midwest, some of the things we had because they have more property. I'm like, where are the places that people hang out in this valley? That people come together as community, that they do fun things together, that they learn, that they grow together. Where, where does this happen? Why could it be us? Why not us? Now, there's certain places. We looked at a place over at Marietta Crossings, over on 215, where they're building some places up north, some other things. I'm like, God, I don't know the answers to those questions. I don't. But he does. But I know we just got to come together and say, let's deal with this. Why not us? Why not now? What's the vision God has for us in this day and age? And I want to invite you to join in that vision because I believe God does have a plan and a purpose. It's also true in your personal lives. i got to shut her down. My wife's saying, yeah, you got to shut her down. Those kids over there are dying. <laughs> Ephesians 4.29 says this, Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. The creative power of words. On a personal level, you have the ability to build into some people's lives. And you can build into people's lives with your words. You can speak things into existence to bring encouragement, affirmation, and hope to them. Maybe it's a child. Maybe it's a friend. Anchor whatever vision you have personally to the grander vision of God. I'm just a mom. What if Billy Graham's mom said, I'm just a mom. Just a mom? You're building a child, a family that knows hope and has a vision for their life. Well, I'm just trying to do this business. Really? Just a business? You're giving worth and value into young people's lives. Maybe that you're hiring people that are going to be able to catch a hold of a vision for their own life. And they're going to see the integrity of how you operate and you deal with your business. I want to encourage you. Do not. Do not think too small. Courageously. Courageously. Ask God to give you the vision forward. Going to have the team come to close us in a song. I'm going to pick this up next week. And then we're going to keep picking it up because God has called us to set into motion some things that don't currently 
exist in your personal life and in our church life. Will you pray with me? Father, I ask that you would just bless us as we close down here today. Lord, I know that the minutes have slipped by, but I felt your presence, God, that we need to come together. And whether this is our church from the get-go when it started in 04, or maybe we just walked in here the last couple of weeks or even this morning, seeking, Lord, seeking for a community, seeking to understand you more. I pray, God, that you would speak to every one of us and that you would burden us with what your heart's burdened about. May we not just exist and move from day to day, year to year, season of life to the next season. Lord, may we open our ears to you. May we open our eyes to see that which is not seen. Lord, may we find some brotherhoods and sisterhoods of a few who we can journey together with. Bear our soul, get some counsel, get some advice, maybe get some tough love. And may we find ourselves moving forward into this vision courageously, engaging our minds and our imaginations, our hearts and our wills, those of others, to bring about your glory here in this valley on earth and on earth as it is in heaven. And so, Lord, I just pray in this because I know that one thing we'll look at here next week, the enemy start to attack real quick. I know, Lord, that the enemy didn't want me to be so bold today. He would just prefer for us to exist. Hold our own. That's okay. But, Lord, I know you've called my family here, and I know you've called these people for a purpose that is grander than what we can imagine. And it's not about size, God. It's about purpose, meaningful longevity, impactful ministry. You call us into visions that are somewhere between impractical and impossible. But then you step in and you begin to bring it about. Lord, when things get real, may we not run. And I don't know who's in this room today that needs that word, to not run. But to build the marriage, to build the home, to build the business, to build the community, to build the nonprofit, to build the ministry. Whatever it is, Lord, may they not run. May they lean into you courageously with a handful of others.